0: It's time to accelerate! Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hi, welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Eleanor Stutz, author, speaker, consultant, author of book, Nice Girls Do Get the Sale, Relationship Building That Gets Results. So Eleanor, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Andy, for having me.
0: Well, thanks for joining me. So rather than have me sort of kick off by reading some standard bio you might have given me, why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself to the listeners, tell us what you do and who you do it for.
1: Be happy to. Uh, I love writing. I write a blog five days a week. I'm the author of two best-selling books, and my blog is distributed among corporations and entrepreneurs alike. And the reward comes from sharing my best insights from my sales experience and consulting uh, with my audiences. And to know that my information helps them to succeed. That's the true reward.
0: And where is your blog found?
1: It's at Smooth Sale, and that's spelled S-M-O-O-T-H-S-A-L-E dot net. Slash blog.
0: And what does the smooth sale mean?
1: My daughter is in marketing, and she named my company Smooth Sale for me, and it seemed to her that I always got any sale that I set my mind on, no matter what was going on in the corporate scene behind everything. Mm-hmm. And she thought sales was natural for me. It was easy. And my definition grew into repeat business referrals and testimonials. That's when it's really smooth.
0: Hmm. So how would you get your start in sales?
1: This is a funny story. It was very hard for me to get my initial job because I had been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And the only job I could get was a blue-collar office selling an unknown brand, a copier, <laughs> in the East Bay of the, of the Peninsula. And the men didn't want me. They refused to talk to me. The manager didn't want me. The di- I had cornered the director into hiring me. So I ne- had never sold before except for Girl Scout cookies and knew nothing about a sales cycle. But I was told I had to knock on 50 doors a day, which I did do. And I had wonderful conversations whenever I was invited in. And this is really, really funny. They kept inviting me back because I was fun and a great detraction from their work.
0: So (laughs) Did they ever buy anything?
1: So the third month, they said, you know, we don't even know what you're selling, but if you'll just bring a brochure and we'll buy from you. I didn't even know to do that. You won't believe this. The fourth month, I was the top rep not knowing how to sell.
0: Oh, I I believe it. I believe it.
1: (laughs) They all called me a breath of fresh air. That became my personal brand.
0: (laughs) So you were selling in the East Bay side of of the San Francisco Bay Area. So your territory, where'd you, you'd like park at a business park and get out and walk, knock knock door to door?
1: Exactly. That's how it was done. And when I heard the average rep does 50 cold calls a day, I decided to do 60 because I never saw myself as average. And that allowed me to always be the top producer of any company.
0: We probably saw each other out there. I was doing the same thing in the same territory, probably right around the same time.
1: Oh, that's a riot! <laughs> was,
0: my my first territory selling mini computers, not to date myself too badly, was uh, yeah from Fremont to Vallejo.
1: Uh, we probably crossed
0: paths. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what were sort of those like, key lessons you learned then? I mean, here you were, you became the top rep. I mean, obviously, you started sort of institutionalizing this uh, this within to your, your own sales process. I mean, what were the key things you sort of learned? over those first six months that have stuck with you through all of your career?
1: Actually, sales techniques don't work nearly as well as understanding why you're invited in for the first place and putting the prospective client's goals and needs first and leading with questions. In fact, the best question when you do go in, I found, is to ask, why did you invite me in? I always ask that so Mm -hmm. I know what to repeat. And uh, that way it eliminates the BS, too, rather than, oh, just curious. There had to be a reason. Right. So then you delve into the conversation. You get to know people both personally and professionally. And uh, then the trust builds. And that's the basis for all sales, in my opinion.
0: So when you wrote the book, Nice Girls Do Get the Sale, which applies to girls or guys, right? Um, Right. What were the problems you saw that weren't being addressed in sales?
1: People didn't take the time to care. They were just pushing whatever they were selling or trying to push it down the potential client's throat. And I'd come back in the sales office and I'd see the men slapping each other on the back and bragging how they were going to rip off their clientele, you know, uh, charging so much money for what they were selling. And my belief is that those dollar signs had to be floating out of their eyes when they were talking to people, and that limited the trust. And sure enough, I began to witness what was referred to as the revolving sales store. mm mm-hmm. People came and people left, but nobody could keep their job because they weren't selling the right way. It's uh, to work on the behalf of your clientele and to sell with integrity.
0: And so how do you teach that then for the companies that you work with?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. People have to grasp it, embrace it themselves individually. And if they don't, It's a matter of your own principles. I think entrepreneurs are more likely to grasp that than people in corporations because there's so much pressure on them to make their numbers. But if you can just hold fast to your own values and do what's right by your clientele, it may be a slower start out of the gate. But in the end, you see the reward, and you do become the top producer, and you have that returning and referring clientele. It's worth the wait, in my opinion. Once again,
0: so for entrepreneurs, the then business owners, you know, one of the most problematic things for them is hiring salespeople. So how do they at the first part? I mean, how do they screen people for, you know, this this value? People are going to have this orientation toward valuing the relationship, have integrity, trust be able to build trust with, uh, with customers? I mean, how do you, how do you begin to screen for that when you either look at resumes or bring people in, have your initial conversation with them? Yeah, the,
1: you know, that's really critical. I, I would start asking them about their experience and then just keep it conversational and talk about strange experiences that, you know, the, the person the hiring manager may have had. And things where came into question on which way to proceed and ask the person interviewing what they would do, get their insight on it. And you ask a few of these, I think you know the person pretty well.
0: And do you find then, also I think, it's been my experience with small and mid-sized enterprises that in terms of building these lasting relationships that it may be the salesperson who's the point person, but that the VP of sales or the owner of the business, the CEO, whatever, play a pretty critical role in maintaining that relationship. You know, what have you found in that?
1: Yes, on occasion I've brought people in who I respected. On other occasions I tried to keep sales managers out. <laughs> Oh, I've got a great story for you. Oh, sure. I, I always used to talk about price first because I wanted a green light. You know, truthfully, right. I did sell at the higher price point, but I always delivered service. And one of my first questions would be, is price more important to you or is service because we're not the cheapest player you know in the industry Mm -hmm. and they would always say service and then I'd explain how I delivered outstanding service well a manager went out with me one time and on the way back he just reprimanded me that I should never ever talk about price first I should uh, keep it till the very end which I totally disagreed with so by the time we got back into the office he said I want you to stop that today. And I said, I'll be happy to, with a big smile on my face, I said, if you'll just answer one question. And he said, sure, what is it? I said, well, if I'm doing everything wrong, could you please explain why month after month, I'm always at the top of the sales scoreboard? He turned beet red, went into his office and didn't come out till five o'clock and made a beeline for his car.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, how much of that do you think was because you were female?
1: You know, that particular story and him, that, that didn't come into it, but okay. there, were, there were plenty of other stories, lots of discrimination. In fact, the worst one was an international company. I was going to close a $3 million sale. When was this? Before 2000, it was late 1990s, so it was a huge sale in those days, especially for the copier industry, printer industry, mm-hmm. and the manager hated women just hated women. And I was going to be the top producer for the entire company. And he did everything he could uh, do to kill the sale. He wouldn't follow up on anything. I tried to get the director involved. And he he bowed out. He said, No, you have to keep it between the manager, the VP got wind of what was going on and he left the middle of the night. Nobody ever heard from him again. And (laughs) I could not get that sale made. My commission would have been a couple hundred thousand dollars. I kid you not. And it was just all lost. And you know what the end result was? The woman in charge of HR found out about it later and they promoted the manager because he was a minority that promoted him to get him out of the way. About a year later he was fired because he did something that was highly unethical and against all policy.
0: So how do that's an interesting question, is you know, how do you um, in your work now, I mean, how do you work with you know managers that can't seem to do things that are in their own best interest?
1: That's very difficult. Um, to tell you the truth so what I've come to realize it's my older age and I don't need to be pounding the pavement like I used to I qualify and match the people that I prefer to work with I make sure we're on the same page and that you know it'll be enjoyable to work together
0: but do your clients ever match you up with uh, you know one of their executives that's you know struggling like this that you know has having a hard time you know, maintaining the right perspective, you know, open mind to the possibilities of, you know, how to succeed and so on?
1: Yeah, well, I have consultations first and talk about what they're trying to achieve and make certain I'm able to help them and help the teamwork and, you know, understand what's going on in the organization. And um, I talk with large companies and I speak with, uh, you know, very small entities and just make sure that we're on the same page the way employees should be treated and motivated and go from there.
0: So, Getting back to the sort of topic of the book, Nice Girls Do Get the Sales, is what is the key thing for establishing a lasting relationship with a customer?
1: It's really understanding their entire perspective first. Why am I here? What are your long-term goals? What are your personal goals? How long do you plan to be here? And how do you see all, and get their input on how they see it achieved? And then once you start drilling down on all of that, you recognize holes in what they're telling you or where possible enhancement could come in. And then I never tell sell. I always say telling selling doesn't work. I ask questions. Have you thought about? Would you be interested in, and start proposing more creative ideas to complement what's in place?
0: Right, and then as you go on beyond the initial sale, I mean, I was talking to a client a couple days ago having a problem where they're being surprised by existing customers that they feel like they're paying enough attention to that are suddenly terminating business with them. So, what's what's the key to establishing that relationship? That's that's uh, you know, you're staying open and in communication and touch, and staying informed about what the customers' objectives are.
1: Well, my first suggestion would be to contact the people leaving and ask for a debriefing. Ask where they fell short. You have to brace yourself sometimes because you're not going to agree with the input. And see if there's any common factor that went into that and then take strides in turning it all around. Uh, Because you can't allow that to continue.
0: Right. But how would you work in a situation? Their problem was that they thought they were having visibility into those decisions, before they were being made, but they clearly weren't, right? So they're being presented with a fait accompli on the part of the customer saying, you know, we're not going to renew our contract with you. What could they have done better to stay engaged with the customer prior to that happening?
1: Uh, Upfront, ask how often the customer would like to be engaged, with whom, do they need the executives involved, do they want in-person meetings, do they want phone calls, ask how people like to communicate and the frequency and what they need and after every meeting, I always ask what are the next steps. Mm-hmm. You- You have to get their next steps and then provide input for adding to that. You have to be a value-added provider, as the expression goes.
0: Right. So continually be engaged with them to help them sort of reassess what their long-term requirements and objectives are.
1: Exactly. And then as you go part way down, just say, gee, you know, we're speeding along here. Have you renewed or revised your your vision? You know, where are we going from here? And work as a partner. The whole thing is to begin as a consultant and then turn into a partner. If people feel that you just made the sale to get the money and said adios or aren't really engaged, they are going to leave and go elsewhere.
0: Yeah, but that term partner gets thrown around fairly fairly easily. I mean, how do you really define that difference between a vendor and a partner?
1: Someone who cares that the client is achieving their goals and always checking in how everything is uh, moving along, what they've provided, and what else is needed, is anything missing, and to be on top of the conversation. And make sure you're there when new decisions come about. You have to be informed when, you know, the bigger decisions come down, how it's affecting what you have in place, and what you can do to improve. You always have to get a report card on what's going on.
0: Yeah, and I think that to add to that, what I would add to it is that, you know, if you are that, you know, to transcend to being that partners, is you know when these critical decisions are being made. You know, that you're involved enough with the people that you're uh, talking with, points of contact at your customer's office, you're involved, you understand their process, the flow that's going on with internally within that company, so that you really should not be surprised with a decision that's you know being presented to you that, hey, we're going a different direction. That should never happen.
1: Exactly. I agree with you.
0: Let me give you a, a scenario to think about, and we'll come back and talk about it after the break. Hypothetical scenario. So you're a new manager, being hired into a company, sales have stagnated, and companies company's feeling some time pressure. So you want to come in and make sure you make as big an impact as quickly as possible. So what are the two things, two things you do first to have a big impact on that company? And so we'll come back and talk about that right after the break. Sounds good. Stay with us. We'll be back with Eleanor Stutz in just a second. Hi, this is Andy. Connect & Cell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect & Cell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect & Cell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect & Sell can start filling your pipeline today. So Welcome back. My guest today is Eleanor Stutz. Find Eleanor online at thesmoothsale.net. So Let's talk about that scenario I posed before the break. You're a new manager. You're coming into a new company. What can you do within that first week? What two things could you do within that first week that would have the most impact to start turning things around. Not that you'd get it accomplished, but to start turning things around.
1: Yeah, the first thing is to get the team behind you. Usually teams can't stand new managers and they yeah. want to take over and go off in their own direction. You get, you make it a mandatory meeting, get everybody in the room for the day if need be, and go around the room. First, You know, have everybody introduce themselves and tell them about their successes to get it on a positive note. And then get input about, where they may have been falling short, why they think that is, and get their input on what needs to be improved, and take notes on a chart in front of the room so that everybody has their input, everybody has equal say and feels important, and you thank everybody. And then you go through it. and. And just redefine and get a group buy-in on what will truly work and what they will agree to trying and come across the best manager I ever had he he was in fact a team um, leader for sports Mm -hmm. a coach and that's how he traded the sales team and it worked best everybody bought into what he was saying because it was highly credible he followed up on everything that he said and suggested and he cared about what his team had to say and he did his best to implement everything that the team shared and wanted to try out and cheered them on as you go through the process. So prioritize everything that your team has to say and make sure everybody stays on track to get it going. And that usually helps morale and helps to turn things around. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah. No, well, I think that's, you know, you sort of sum that first part up by, you know, sort of this expression people say is, you know, they don't care what you know, but they want to know that you care.
1: Absolutely. And as a salesperson, It always made a difference for me if I knew that management cared. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the end, it's up to yourself to be highly motivated and make it happen. But I always felt better if you knew you had somebody cheering you on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's the first thing you do. What's the second thing you do?
1: Uh, Then you go out and um, you coach individually. You get to know the styles of each team member, see how they perform. And do your best not to critique so much, but constructive insight on what may be improved. And you also get input where they felt training was lacking and Mm -hmm. do your best to get the training appropriate, whether you deliver it yourself or you hire out to get the training that's needed for the team so everyone can succeed.
0: So part of that is, as you talk about, is actually go on calls or with the sales reps if they're doing outside or if they're inside, you know, monitor the calls, participate, you know, listen and see how they do.
1: Exactly, and find out where the problems are, see if there's any commonality among the problems, and then have conversation. Everything for me is open conversation and get people to discuss, you know, what routinely comes up that stops them in their track and discuss ways And strategize ideas for overcoming all of that so people have a better arsenal to go out in the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I pose the question as, you know, from the context of a new person coming into the organization, but really, you know, for people listening, if you're a sales manager or a business owner or CEO or whatever, is, you know, you don't need to bring somebody in new to do these things. As you can, if you're stagnant or things have still stalled a little bit in terms of your sales, is these are ideas you can use in your business today to start turning things around. Is you know, if you think your sales team I'm sure you encounter this, Eleanor, in your businesses, sales teams become sort of alienated from management. And, you know, if there isn't that connection, that's gonna be problematic for you. So you need to make sure they understand that you do care.
1: Absolutely. And I would suggest at least a monthly meeting. I mean, I know a lot of organizations have weekly Monday morning meetings and for the most part, they're boring and nobody listens. (laughs) But, (laughs) well, you're laughing, you relate. (laughs) Yeah, I do. once a month you have a formal one with lunch included or off-site somewhere and really get people going um, to give their input and you can recognize their achievements, you're going to get a lot further and get more play from the team as a team.
0: And so I want to talk a little bit about before we get to our last segment. Is talk about your book, Hired. How do you use sales techniques to sell yourself on interviews? It's sort of a controversial subject because you know, one of the things managers are always reluctant about is in hiring or interviewing salespeople is that, you know, hey, they're being sold, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you avoid that? And the approach that you talk about is you know, how do you get salespeople come across authentically while still using sales techniques?
1: Well, it's the same thing. Um, the same philosophy as the nice girl approach to sales. It's the anti-sale. You get to know the person who is interviewing you and start with the same question. You must receive so many resumes. What caught your attention about mine? Mm-hmm. And that way they start talking and uh, it gets down to serious business. Um, and you must have beat everybody, you know, 200 other someones to get into that office. And then you find out why there's an opening, if there was a problem or somebody just moved, and what the goals are for the job. And you just have a normal conversation. It's not about selling anything, but you try to see if there's any commonality between you and the person interviewing you. And I said earlier, for sales, I qualify and match, and I won't take on rude people. And it's the same with the job. You want to be somewhere it's aggravating to look for a job. So you want to make sure that the qualifying and matching are continual with what you're seeking. Otherwise, you're going to have to be out looking for another job shortly thereafter.
0: Mm -hmm. No, it's great advice. I mean, I think for salespeople that are listening to this is that, you know, what Eleanor has talked about is use your effective discovery questions to lead off the interview. So it's okay. You don't have to wait for the interviewer to lead with the question Is you can start with the question. Right? There's, no, there's no protocol that says that they have to start with the question and you're answering everything they ask because you can, you can ask as well and it's okay to take control of the conversation that way.
1: Exactly and that's where the sales part comes in you don't just sit in a chair lifelessly answering questions you have to take control and lead it obviously answer their questions but you've got to ask an equal number of questions to show interested and in, like you did your research and that you know and upon asking goals for the job and for the company and how it, and you know how it competes with the industry and you know the competitors in the industry, Shows off that you know you're really interested in a viable candidate,
0: right? I mean, if you ask that question about you know what is it about your resume that attracted their attention, and then they follow that up with a question about what is you talk about the what are the objectives they're trying to achieve with the position, and then follow the question saying, okay, well, where do they stand today relative to those objectives? The next question out of the interviewer's mouth is going to be, or the first question out of the interviewer's mouth is going to be, well, do you think you can help us with that? Yeah. Right? You know, if you identify what that gap is between their objectives and where they are, obviously that's what they're hiring for. That's going to be their opening where they're going to ask you that question. Be prepared to answer that question.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Good. Well, I think people should uh, sales be a good book to pick up and read because you know, like it or not, it's a profession. People tend to move fairly frequently from job to job, and it's a great tool to help you get that next assignment. So we're moving to our last segment here. We call it the sales corner. Okay give you some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or you can elaborate uh, as much as you want. So the first question is what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal?
1: Today it's the Twitter app for the phone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I was going to have a follow up question. Maybe you might get the same answer. But what's the one tool you use for managing your own sales that you can't live without?
1: Uh, Yeah, it would be the same.
0: Okay. All right. So who's your sales role model?
1: That's a very good question. I look up to a lot of people. I have to tell you that this is a different answer. My favorite book was uh, *Think and Grow Rich*. Napoleon Hill.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's, Napoleon Hill can be he can be a role model for that. So, what's the one book every salesperson should read?
1: Think and Grow Rich. Okay,
0: gosh, you set this up very well. So, what's the favorite music you listen to to psych yourself up for a sales call?
1: I love Motown.
0: <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. What's the first sales activity you do every day?
1: I look into the mirror and tell myself, "You can do this."
0: I love that. Yeah, I think that's really important. For I mean, just to digress for a second, it's, yeah, there's nothing wrong. That seems very old-fashioned. And you talk about Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich. You know, there's been research published recently that I read uh, an excerpt from the New York Times, and so on about just you know these these daily affirmatives but you tell yourself actually have power
1: they do i i tested it cuz i heard about it in my early sales days i was the first one to bring fortune 100 companies into the fold as clients and um, I'm going to digress for a second. I'm a rare survivor of a broken neck. Oh. My, my family was told the best case outcome would be paralysis. And we know what the other outcome was. Mm-hmm. Right. Seconds before the surgeon was going to cut me open, he told me the same. And I said, doctor, when I wake up, I fully expect to be well. And the last thing I remembered was him jumping backward. And um, when I woke up, he said there was no rhyme or reason why, but you'll walk out of here in four days on your own. And I've been well ever since that day.
0: Yeah, I think there's tremendous power for people. I mean, it may seem old-fashioned in some regard, but I remember a roommate in college who I, I thought was sort of funny at the time, but every day posted on the mirror. You know, he had three or four sort of... Affirmations, you know, things that about himself. He's gone on to become quite quite successful, um, and I think, in no doubt, I bet you he still does that every day. Um,
1: well, what I'd like to add to that story is, given that experience, mm-hmm. computer may crash, client may go, but that's just interruptions. It's not a bad day. A bad day is when you're facing death.
0: Right, and you rarely do that in sales. <laughs> At least my experience has been. So what's your definition of value in sales?
1: Bringing value is uh, exceeding expectations and seeing your client achieve more than they thought was possible with your
0: help. So what do you do to keep fit and healthy?
1: I exercise four to five times a week at the gym, weights and all. I bicycle the whole nine yards. How's your neck? Oh, it's fine. I'm, oh, I'm healthy. And Excellent. I eat organic food.
0: Perfect. So the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople
1: is how do you overcome fear? And that's the easiest thing. I say you change your vocabulary from fear to marketing research. So if something doesn't work out, you know what doesn't work and now you'll find the better path to move forward. Mm-hmm. Fear doesn't exist in my vocabulary.
0: I like that. It's a great lesson for people. I mean, and for people that have been listening to the show with the interviews that we're doing, is you know, it's a common theme that these very successful people like Eleanor are talking about is this absence of fear. And people remember listening to a conversation we had with Bob Turson where his book, Selling Fearlessly, and he talks about you know, how do you eliminate fear is know that you're the equal of the person you're talking to. Because right? a lot of times the source of fear for salespeople is you know, they don't think they're the equal of the customer and you have that, that perspective, it makes a huge difference. You know, it's another trick to use to eliminate fear from your vocabulary.
1: Exactly. I had to learn that. But we each have our own unique experience and bring something to the table. So even if somebody has 20 years over you, you know something they don't.
0: And that's why you're there. Exactly. As you said from your question, why'd you, why'd you, why, why am I here, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They've got something they want to get from you or learn from you, and that's why they're talking to you in the first place. So, last question. What's the one thing that occupies your time outside of work?
1: Oh, family. I love being with my family. My husband, my children, grandchild. It's a joy.
0: Good. And, yeah, you just recently relocated, right?
1: Yes, we did, from California to the East Coast. Oh. DC metro area and we're enjoying it immensely.
0: Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Eleanor Stutz has been with us. Eleanor, please tell people how they can get in touch with you.
1: Yes. uh, My phone number is 408-209-0550. That's 408-209-0550. My website again is smoothsail.net. And my email is eleanor, E-L-I-N-O-R, at smoothsale.net.
0: And be sure and pick up a copy of Nice Girls Do Win, and it's for guys, too. So everybody can pick it up and read it. And remember, make it a part of your day every day in sales, business, marketing, to learn something new every day to help you amp up your business. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show.